Hello and welcome to DW Fast Track, where lawyers discuss the hottest topics and trends in the legal industry. I'm today's host, Leonce Richard, a member in Dickinson Wright's Phoenix office focusing on family law and divorce. In this episode, we are joined by industry expert Marlene Pontrelli to discuss premarital agreements and their importance to you. Well, thank you, Lee. I'm excited that we're talking about this subject today. And while Lee and I are both members of Dickinson Wright practicing in the area of family law, we also both teach the family law class over at ASU Law School. And the topic of premarital agreements is always something that generates interest. Many people think of it as a negative thing because no one person wants to enter into a marriage thinking that the other person is trying to protect their assets and they're not entering into the marriage as a true partnership. But that's really not how it has to be done at all. In fact, I think, Lee, we find that just the opposite is often true. It's a way of discussing with your intended spouse ahead of time some of the issues that often come up during the marriage and create arguments and disagreements. So it's a way of trying to avoid some of those. But maybe, Lee, you can start out by talking a little bit about what a prenuptial agreement is, also sometimes referred to as a premarital agreement. Sure. And again, the terms are interchangeable, prenuptial agreement and premarital agreement, both terms used quite frequently. But no matter what you call it, a premarital agreement or a prenuptial agreement is basically a legally enforceable contract between two people who intend to get married, setting out their rules for how they want to handle their finances and property, one, during their marriage, two, in the event that one of them dies, and three, in the unfortunate event that they split up whether through divorce, legal separation, or annulment. It basically permits you to opt out of your state's marriage laws governing your income and property and to create your own private arrangement. What we're seeing in society is an increasing freedom to personally define marriage to suit individual needs and desires. Premarital agreements are simply another aspect of the societal trend from a financial perspective. Premarital agreements are recognized in all 50 states, although the rules for such agreements vary from state to state. 26 states, including Arizona, have adopted the Uniform Premarital Agreement Act, meaning the laws in those states governing premarital agreements are very similar. So the question comes up then, all right, I get the basic understanding of what a premarital agreement is and what it does, but do I need one? Who is it that really would benefit from a premarital agreement? Marlene, what do you think about that? Well, that's an interesting question, Lee, because I think a lot of times, especially even before I entered into the practice of law and family law in particular, is you think about premarital agreements as really being for the rich and famous, that there's somebody that may have a lot of money and they're trying to protect those separate assets during the marriage. But that's not really the case anymore. Sometimes it's very helpful for people just starting out in life who want to take control over how they handle their finances. And in a premarital agreement, they can talk about how to handle household expenses, how they want to spend money, what happens if one person gives up their career to stay home to raise children, about naming beneficiaries on life insurance, providing for handling of debt and credit cards, all those things that engaged couples really should talk about, but many times do not. This gives you that opportunity to talk about it, think about it, identify what's important to you. Maybe it's even things like setting 
setting aside separate investment accounts for purchasing a house or purchasing cars, all kinds of things that come up during a marriage that people often don't talk about beforehand and then can cause arguments or disagreements during the marriage. And, you know, when you think about it, there is really no other part of your life that could have such large financial repercussions that you don't enter into without talking about it first or without some written contract, whether that's a car lease, a rental agreement, or operating a business. And talking about all those things ahead of time before you're married and talking about how you're going to set up those accounts and how you're going to deal with credit cards and how you're going to deal with other financial issues that may come up can be actually very enlightening for both couples and make sure both parties are on the same page. So it can be very simple. And I think, as you said, it gives you control. So why have one then? Why have one? There's a there's innumerable reasons to have one, and they vary from person to person, as Marlene just indicated. But I think the number one reason is that I don't care how much money you have now or will have later. Marriage is the single biggest financial decision you will ever make. Whether you are just starting out as a student, marrying the love of your life at age 23, or whether you're a multi-billionaire getting married again for the third time, it doesn't matter. It is the biggest financial decision you will make. The law governing what happens to your income and property when you get married, including your premarital property and inherited property, is often counterintuitive. The law is actually stacked against anyone who wants to keep their income or property separate after marriage. I've been handling divorces for well over 30 years. So what I bring into the premarital agreement is honed by what my experience is and what my client's experience has been in the divorce court. One of the most common complaints I hear from my clients, especially from those who are losing their property, is that no one ever told them what the law is. People don't get a primer on the law when they get married. It's usually when they get divorced and then it's too late. Premarital agreements protect you from unintended consequences and surprises in the law, not only in divorce, but in everyday life and in the event of death too. So that's probably the most fundamental purpose of a premarital agreement. But they also serve other purposes in people's lives too. For instance, estate planning. I have many clients come to me and they have premarital agreements. They desire a premarital agreement in connection with their estate plans. This applies especially to people who are getting remarried and already have children or are marrying someone with children. One purpose in such cases is to protect the kids' financial security by setting out their legal rights in the context of this new marital relationship. Another purpose is to protect your new spouse from your family members by making clear to everyone what the financial boundaries and interests are for everyone. Oftentimes, I have parties or clients come talk to me who are getting married later in life. Maybe they're in their late 60s or 70s. They have a substantial estate already in place. They have kids. And the concern is that the family is not going to be very receptive to this new person coming in and marrying either dad or marrying mom because there's some suspicion about what are the motives here and how is it going to affect my financial future. The premarital agreement makes it clear to everyone that, hey, here are the rights of my new spouse and avoids potential conflicts down the road between family members and your new spouse. Also, another important purpose is creditor protection, to protect your spouse from your creditors or vice versa. 
for instance, parties who come to me with like one of them has a very high risk profession or job, and they don't want to subject their spouse to any potential liabilities associated with their employment or their job. Premarital agreements are very good for governing that. Or I have other clients who will come in to, to me and say, look, I love my fiance to death. I'm more than happy to get married, but I am very sensitive about my great credit and my future spouse is got bad credit and judgments against them that I don't want any part of. I want to be protected against that. So there's another reason that a premarital agreement would be handy. Another one I find is for business owners, my client business owners that don't want their spouse or their new spouse to be subjected to the vagaries of their business, such as getting loans. Oftentimes, my business owners don't want to include their spouses in their operation of their businesses, having to go get loans, things along those lines, signing off on guarantees, signing off on loan agreements. And a premarital agreement is a good way of avoiding that necessary participation in the running of the business. Final thing is, and I want to touch on what Marlene had previously mentioned, is I quite frankly think that the underlying purpose of a premarital agreement is to build a lasting partnership. I believe that is one of the most important underappreciated goals of a premarital agreement. Premarital agreements should not be seen as an adversarial thing. A premarital agreement is essentially a partnership agreement laying out the groundwork for your life partnership. When two people start a business relationship, the first thing they do is create a partnership agreement that sets out their mutually defined goals and how they're going to get there. Why wouldn't you have that in connection with your marriage, which is nothing more than a lifelong partnership? One of the biggest causes of divorce is disputes over money and how to handle finances. Putting together a premarital agreement actually strengthens the marital relationship by forcing people to think about their financial life goals and how they're going to achieve those goals together. It also builds trust and bonding while avoiding surprises down the road. In short, it's kind of a form of a pre-marriage prep class, which I think are very valuable to starting out on a good foot with a strong, uh, healthy marital relationship. So I second Marlene's comments on that about how important premarital agreements are to that aspect of building a healthy marital relationship. But then the question comes up, all right, that's all fine, Lee, but do I need an attorney to help me out with this or is this something I can just do on my own? And so I know Marlene has some opinions on that. Well, I, you know, I do. I, I'm not a big fan of the do-it-yourself. And, you know, you could, certainly can find, you know, on the internet and now forms for everything, but they're not tailored to your particular circumstances. There's no cookie cutter way of doing premarital agreements because they're individual contracts for each person. And, and I think more importantly, they're discussing your legal rights and obligations and having an attorney that you can sit down with and talk about those rights and obligations and may even involve talking with an estate lawyer as well. We sometimes will run certain things by the estate and trust lawyers as well to make sure that we are preparing a document that actually is going to stand up to the test of time and is going to be enforceable in the end, because you certainly don't want an agreement that has ambiguities in it or creates more problems than, than you're trying to solve. And so having somebody who's been working in this area for a while, understands the family law, 
area in your particular state and can walk you through those rights and obligations and make sure that you have an agreement that is appropriate for your situation, I think is very important because they can be very simple or they can be very elaborate, but knowing what those rights and obligations are ahead of time is important. I think one of the the things that comes up more is, well, what can be included? Because people sometimes want to include things that you can't include in a premarital agreement. And so maybe talk a little bit about that, Lee. Yeah, this is one topic that comes up quite frequently. But before I get to that, I do want to second something that Marlene said. I will tell you from personal experience in handling divorces for 30 plus, 35 years, and oftentimes dealing with premarital agreements in the courtroom, none that I've ever done, thankfully. But or that, me. Or, or, me. Or, or Marlene or anybody else that Dickinson Wright has, has done a premarital agreement for, is that a badly drafted premarital agreement is often worse than having no premarital agreement at all. You want to make sure that it's done correctly. For everything that we've talked about up to this point, you need to make sure that this is done correctly. And that means you need to get good, qualified, experienced attorneys to do it. Now, what can can't be included in a premarital agreement? Well, in Arizona, and again, it may vary from state to state, but in Arizona, a premarital agreement is pretty much a blank piece of paper. You can write down whatever you want on it with two exceptions. You can't say anything about what happens to your kids in the event you split up. And two, you can't say anything about financial support for your kids. Those two items remain the province of the law and the family court. Anything else, though, everything outside of those two prohibited areas is fine to include in a premarital agreement, including a waiver of spousal maintenance or alimony, which is allowed in Arizona. Although, again, other states follow premarital agreement law, oftentimes will limit the ability to waive spousal maintenance or alimony. There also are some public policy things that you have to avoid as well. So, you know, you can't have a situation where you're going through a divorce and you say, okay, if you divorce me, you have to find me another another wife um, that's kind of got good cooking skills and amenities that I may have gotten that I feel cheated from because you cheated on me. And so I'm put that into the premarital agreement. Some of those are against public policy as well that you wouldn't be able to. And I will tell you that's an actual case that I, (laughs) I think Marlene is referring to an actual case that I actually had where one of my potential clients came to me with his current wife and they wanted to do a premarital agreement that said that if their mail order relationship didn't work out, she was going to be obligated to go find him a substitute mail order bride. I obviously didn't take that case and told them that I didn't think that was going to work. And there are other instances too. I mean, you can get things. One of the things that I constantly see in premarital agreements, I'm sure Marlene does too, are couples that want to come in and put into their agreement some kind of pouncy clause if somebody cheats on them. That can run the gamut from financial penalties to double the amount of spousal maintenance or completely getting rid of spousal maintenance or tearing up the agreement if somebody cheats and the agreement gets torn up. The problem with those types of provisions is that they're not well received in the court and they become problematic when you're trying to enforce them because the devil's in the details. How do you define cheating? What's the line of cheating? Well, you know, when do you cross that line? And quite frankly, they become very difficult to draft and quite frankly, 
very emotionally offensive when you're trying to put them together. So the purpose, as Marlene and I have discussed, of a premarital agreement is to build a solid foundation for a solid marital relationship. Wading into these kinds of things really I find to be counterproductive to that goal. So I usually counsel clients to try to avoid those. And generally when I go through and point out all the problems that accompany trying to draft those types of penalty clauses, most of them see the light and say, yeah, that's not, that's not going to work. You know, what's interesting is I probably have a few listeners who are thinking, gosh, I should have done a premarital agreement. You can do a postnuptial agreement, right, Lee? Yeah, I mean, they're called premarital agreements for a reason because they're done before you get married. But if suddenly you come out down the road and say, you know what, I was talking to my buddy and he told me I should have got a premarital agreement, but I'm already married. What can I do? Well, you can do what's called a postnuptial agreement. In um, a postnuptial agreement will essentially try to accomplish the same things that a premarital agreement will. However, be aware of the fact that a postnuptial agreement may not have the same legal weight as a premarital agreement, particularly in Arizona. In Arizona, premarital agreements are presumptively valid and the courts love them. Postnuptial agreements in Arizona are looked at by the court with suspicion and they have a very high standard that has to be met in order to enforce them. So my advice to anyone who wants this type of agreement where you're setting out your own rules for governing your property and income during marriage is to get a premarital agreement and make sure it's signed before marriage. Now, having said that, many states do not follow the same distinction that Arizona makes between postnuptial agreements and premarital agreements, and many states treat those two types of agreements the same. Again, it's important to check the laws of your own state if you're not in Arizona. I'm an Arizona attorney. Marlene's an Arizona attorney, and we're telling what Arizona law provides, and that is that, yeah, you'd much rather have a premarital agreement as opposed to a postnuptial agreement. Now, having said that, understand that premarital agreements are amendable. So after you get married and maybe five years down the line, your financial circumstances change, you have kids, you know, somebody goes, gets a great job. Something has changed that warrants modification to your premarital agreement. You're free to do that. It's easy to do. I do it all the time. It's generally a one, two page amendment to the premarital agreement. Go ahead and do it. It makes everything much clearer. Do not, like I have many clients come in and say, well, I just want to do a postnuptial agreement when I already have a premarital agreement. That's a no-no. You do an amendment to your premarital agreement. You don't come up with a new postnuptial agreement. Two things I want to stress in connection with preparing a premarital agreement. One, keep your premarital agreement as simple as possible. You don't want too many moving parts. The more complicated you make it, the harder it will be for you to follow it during your marriage and to enforce it if you ever need to enforce it. Second, make your premarital agreement fit your life. Don't make your life fit your premarital agreement. If you already have an established pattern or way of doing things that's working for the two of you, well, then build that into your premarital agreement. Don't try to shift it around and try to upend your life just to comply with what some attorney told you that should be in the premarital agreement. Marlene, you have any final thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, a, a few takeaways. First, remember, premarital agreements are for everyone. They establish your rights and obligations so that finances are talked about ahead of time, and they establish some rhyme or reason during the marriage, in the event of death, and in the event of an unlikely or unfortunate divorce or legal separation. Second, it gives you control over your marriage. And we actually find it creates less problems because both you and your spouse are on the same page financially and you walk into the marriage knowing that. Third, keep in mind it's never too late. You can always do a postnuptial agreement. Sometimes people will do them because it actually will help save their marriage. So it's in consideration of staying married that they'll do a postnuptial agreement. And finally, Contact an attorney knowledgeable in the area in your state, since sometimes a bad premarital agreement is worse than none at all. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of DW Fast Track. Be on the lookout for our next episode of All Things Legal, Admissible, and Trending, or visit our website at www.dickinsonwright.com.